0: So turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. The title of the study is Promise Fulfilled. And we're going to close our service this morning with sharing in communion. So I guess if you're watching online, welcome. You can get some communion elements. Pause me and go get some communion elements. And at the end, we're going to share together. And if they're not exactly right, that's okay. You can still participate with us. We begin reading in verses 1 through 7 where we read about how the Lord is right on time. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Let's find the repetition there. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So there's a theme going on here. Three times in two verses, God did what he said. And Abraham called on the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born, born to him, Isaac. So this is his name. He called, called the name of his son. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Well, not just his old age. Her old age, too. She's 90 years old. And Ishmael, at this time, would have been around 14. So I just saw some of you laugh. She was a prophetess, wasn't she? I mean, can you just imagine what that must have been like? You know, I mean, for some of us, I mean, if, you know, like, I mean, if my wife came home and said, guess what, I'm pregnant, I, pff, I would be, I mean, I would be rejoicing in the Lord, you know, but it's not, it's not what I'm planning on happening right now, and I don't want my kids' kids to be older than my youngest, so, but that happens, Right? But, but it is something that we realize that's, that's out of order, that's out of time, and, and so it, it causes laughter. Remember when the Lord came and told Abraham, you're going to have a son in about a year. What did, Abraham, uh, what did Sarah do? She laughed. And so she's talking about how there's going to be this, this laughter is going to, to take place. Well, all of us know what it's like to wait on something and for it to be delayed and then to wish that it would come. This is what was going on with them. Except for them, this promise that a son would come, was, it was all tied up with the character and the person of this one they were now worshiping. Because remember... They were over in the Ur of the Chaldeans. They were worshiping there. And then the Lord, worshiping moon god and idolaters, and the Lord came and stepped into that scene and basically said to Abram, listen, you're done with that. You're now going to worship me. I'm the creator. I've got a plan for your life. Get up. And leave this place, and I'm going to give you uh, descendants. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land. And he did that. Because even at that point in their 70s, I mean, they didn't have their, any children, and you can imagine there would have been a desire of theirs to have children. And now this God breaks into his world and says, I'm the real deal, I'm the one you have to worship, and I'm going to give you a son. And so his faith and his encounter with God from the very beginning is all tied up in this promise about a seed that he would have, one that would come from him. He, I'm sure he knew the oral traditions. I assume he knew some of the oral traditions of the garden and of the great flood, but what was predominant in his life was the idolatry and worshiping of the moon God called sin. But the Lord breaks through. And multiple times he comes to him and he says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a descendant. Well, just take Eleazar, my servant. I'm not interested in Eleazar. Great man, not the, not the seed. Okay, how about Ishmael? Uh, we came up with a plan to help you out, God. I decided to go into Hagar, my wife's handmaiden, and um, she gave us a child. I will bless that child, but I am not interested in that child in being the seed. And so this is something that they're having to wait on. And you can imagine, Scripture doesn't say it, but in my mind it's not hard to imagine somebody saying, are you sure you're like having an encounter with God and not a demon that's like trying to trick you and fool you and make a fool out of you? I know this is God. I know this is the one. And he had that faith and he had that trust and his eyes were on the Lord. The Bible says that we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. It's in the book of Hebrews. Faith and patience. I believe what God has said he's going to do, even if I'm 99 and it hasn't happened yet. And patience, I'm going to wait upon the Lord. Now, did they have lapses of faith? (laughs) Yes, they did. Eleazar was one. The big one, though, was with Ishmael and having Ishmael through Hagar. And this was a lapse of faith. But the Lord calls us to inherit the promises the same way he called upon them, through faith and patience. I believe in God and what he has said, and I trust in him to bring those promises to pass. But I'm going to patiently wait. I'm not going to pull up. I'm not going to say, forget this. I, I, you know, I've waited too long. I'm going to wait upon the Lord. What are the things that the Lord has spoken to you, and to me, and to us as promises. How about this one? How about the fact that the Lord said he's going to return again? And that he's going to set up a kingdom. And that you and me and all believers are going to be a part of it. And that these bodies are going to be transformed. And we're going to be given new heavenly bodies. and We're no longer going to have temptation. We're no longer going to have sin. We're no longer going to have disease. What about these promises? Like, well, but you know, I mean, It's been a long time. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he said this. I just don't know. And, you know, in the 70s, I mean, the late great planet Earth, I was all believing the Lord was going to come back. And then there was 88 reasons in 1988 for why the Lord was going to come back. And he didn't come back. And I'm just discouraged. I'm disappointed. Well, God's word is not true. Men are not true. And they they can get you looking at the wrong thing. But what are we to be looking at? We're not to be looking at a date on the calendar. We're to be looking for the return of a person. And you can be as caught up with that person today as you can be on the moment he returns. You see the point? The point is about Jesus and fellowshipping with him. And I can encounter him and have that experience with him and also anticipate his return. I was told, didn't hear it myself firsthand, so secondhand information, that a pastor had recently said that he thought the church should not expect for the Lord to return, to to live like the Lord won't return for 100 years. So I'm going to be 154 years old. Uh, probably not going to be around. So what you're saying is don't look for the return of Jesus in my lifetime. That's, that is not biblical. It's not biblical to give 88 reasons for why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. But I am to be living with a hope that he may return today. Look up, your redemption draws near. This is the word of the Lord. And so I live with that anticipation. Hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. That's biblical. That's scripture. And that, you know, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus said, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. Scripture wants every generation of believers to live looking up, expecting the return of the Lord, not being disappointed if he chooses in his wisdom to tarry longer than our generation. So if the Lord does not return in, in my lifetime, I am not going to be disappointed and my faith is not going to be challenged or shattered at all because the Lord knows when it's the right time for him to come back. But I do want to live all of my days in fellowship with him. I don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to have a conversation with him. I don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to sit down and worship him or to serve him. I can do that right now. And so this is what we are to do. So God's promise is that he's going to return. Be passionate about that return. Be full of faith. And I know what that pastor was referring to. And he, he was talking about how the church can oftentimes get caught up in hysteria around the end times events. And we begin to just have wrong ideas And I don't know if he is referring to this or not, but there are those that are saying right now that if you take the COVID vaccine, that you actually are aligning yourself with the Antichrist and that's taking the mark of the beast. And when you do that, there's little GPS trackers that are going in and attaching to you and the Antichrist is going to be able to track you down so don't take the vaccine. That's not true. That's not true even close to being true because the Antichrist is not on the scene and the false prophet is not saying, take this mark and worship Whoever takes the mark of the beast will be actively, consciously engaging in an act of worship of that that man, the Antichrist. So whether you think you should have the vaccine or not, don't let that be the reason because it's the mark of the beast. It's not the mark of the beast. It has nothing to, to do with that. But this is probably what he's referring to. And so, yeah, people get off track. People give dates and they say that this is happening. And I know there's some that are saying that without fail, the Lord is going to return by the, you know, the end of this fall. I hope they're right. But I'm not, I'm, not setting, I'm not going to set a date around that. Because the Lord knows when he's going to come back. And then I will be with him. And you will be with him. And we'll be made to be like him. And we will be rewarded by him. And we will rule and reign with him. That is a promise that is worth having faith and patience over and wait for his coming. And if he doesn't come in your lifetime, you're not a fool for having looked for him. That makes you obedient and trusting that he could come in our lifetime. Well, why is he waiting? Well, some of you got saved, you know, within the last 10 years. Aren't you glad he didn't come back 15 years ago? Well, yeah, but I'm saved now. It's okay. No, well, there's other people that aren't saved. And the Lord is waiting and he's being patient because he's not willing that any should perish. But one day that number will be fulfilled and the Lord knows what it is. And then the end times, events will begin to roll out. And I believe the church will be gone before uh, the great tribulation. At the end of that great tribulation will be the second coming of Christ and we will see the kingdom that he's promised. Don't lose patience. Have faith and wait upon the Lord. You will not be put to shame. You're not going to be embarrassed because you've waited upon the Lord. In verse 4, Abraham circumcises his child. Isaac was that first link of realizing the promise that he had been given. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And so now, what a moment this must have been. His faith God, that God, who he had been hearing and meeting with, was truly God and he was trustworthy. And when this son came and as he was carrying out the sign of this covenant, it must have been so affirming to him. So amazing. Like, you are true. And that's why we're reading, as he said, at which time God had said it would happen, because he said it would. His faith is faith as now has this this realization of it in the child, and so he is circumcising this child, which was again the sign of the covenant that he would make him a great nation. Verses five through seven, um, and you know, Sarah's just kind of slapping her leg. I can't believe this. Look at this old lady having a baby, and everybody's going to laugh that the old lady had a baby. And who would have ever thought that I would be nursing a baby at ninety years old? But here we are. And this is what's going on. There's something interesting. There's a a play on words here. Um, Remember uh, when she heard that she was going to have a child? You guys told me she what? She laughed, right? And what does the name Isaac mean? Laughter. So you have, she says people are going to laugh and Isaac's name is laughter. It's connecting with the fact that God did this amazing thing. And we'll see how this, this ties in again. But you know, God is not worried about doing things on our timeline and through conventional methods. And oftentimes, he chooses to do things outside of the normal process of things. And it does make the people of God just kind of laugh and say, wow, would you look at that? How about a teenage boy, you know, shorter than me going and fighting a guy 10 feet tall and defeating him? I mean, it's just kind of like, wow, the Lord is how he did it. He's so faithful. Or how about Gideon? The the guy that was the biggest scaredy cat in Israel called upon the Lord to go fight an innumerable army of the Midianites. And he does it with 300 men and is victorious and everybody laughs and says, we know that wasn't you, that was God. And we could talk about Joseph and how the brothers are like, we are sick of your dreams, we are sick of your robe, we are sick of the favoritism, and they sold him, not spiritually, not metaphorically, literally sold their brother for money into slavery. Done with him. They're not done with him. Because God, in his own sense of humor, has these same guys come back, or go down to Egypt, and who do they have to end up asking for food from? The guy they sold into slavery. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And and we see how God works. And you're like, wow, God. Not the way we would have expected but I just want you to have confidence that God is able to do it. And it doesn't matter if you're 90 and 100. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if it's been 2,000 years. God said it. It's going to take place. He is omnipotent. means he's all-powerful. And that's, not, that's different than just being strong or really, really strong. Omnipotent is way different than that. Because even a really, really strong person can have their strength drained. Through activity, through sickness, through age. But God's strength and power is never dented. It's not like he's got like, you know, life you know, strength you know, in a video game and it goes down as time goes on. Then he gets stronger. God never drops off complete, total power. So all of us can call upon the Lord at the same time and ask for the most difficult thing that has ever been asked on planet Earth and God has the power to do it all at the same time. It does not not challenge him at all. He doesn't have to get stronger. He is all strength is within him. And so he's able to do that which he has promised. So believe and obey God for what you're waiting for. We keep on reading in verses um, 8 down through 21, we're going to see the animosity that uh, is generated between um, Ishmael and, and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac. We keep on reading. So the child grew, Isaac, laughter, right? And was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman woman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, Ishmael. Verse 12, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael. And he's the father of the Arab nations because he is your seed. So I'm going to bless him. So a child was weaned about three years old, but not later than five. So Isaac is three to five years old. Um, Abraham has him when he's 100. So at this point, he's uh, either 103 to 105. Ishmael would have been somewhere between 17 and 20. So I know some of you maybe have an RSV translation, and as you read it, it says, and the boys were playing together. You know, it's like, what? She got mad because they were playing together? You know, she is so high and mighty, she can't even allow Isaac to play with his half-brother. That that's a bad translation. It isn't just playing together. New King James, I think, gets it right. It's the idea of scoffing. But we have another play on uh, words in the Hebrew. Because the word for laughter and for Isaac and for scoffing all have the same root Hebrew root word. And what determines how you translate it is based upon context. So the context is set by the Lord saying to Abraham, hey, listen to your wife. This is the one that's going to be the seed of promise. So this wasn't just playful um, you know, banter between a, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. I mean, if you have a 17-year-old, you know, mocking a three-year-old, there's something out of place. I guarantee you, every mom in this room would be up and into her defensive posture. You know, moms get a different look when they're defending their babies, don't they? It's like, whoa! You're just like, wow, I never realized that about you. was like, they're messing with my child, you know. And there is, and she feels that, but it's not just a natural maternal reaction. She spiritually, I'm going to say, she spiritually discerns the threat that exists there. And that there's going to be, like with Joseph and his brothers, or like with Jacob and Esau, this, this uh, animosity that could end up in a really bad situation. We move over, move with the New Testament, to the New Testament with me to Galatians chapter 4. And I want to read uh, chapter 4, verse 21. We're going to read quite a few verses, actually. You're going to want to be there. This uh, chapter 4 gives us insight into what's going on historically. But this historical account gives us insight into how we are saved. How we are saved. So let's read Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 together. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, actually, down to verse 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these aren't two. These two are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So that's the law was given on Mount Sinai. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with all her children. So, I mean, this is a symbolic of the bondage that those that are under the law trying to earn salvation experience. And that's going on to this very day, even in Jerusalem Paul said as he wrote this letter. Verse 26 But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. So we're talking about Sarah here. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And so the idea is the spiritual descendants that will come from a Sarah. And faith in Jesus Christ, her seed, are far more than the descendants of the Arab people through Ishmael. Verse 29. Now as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it now is. So we get a little bit of commentary there on what that relationship was. Paul says there was a persecution So I don't know that we need to read into this like a physical altercation of a 17-year-old beating up a 3-year-old. But we get a sense of they weren't just playing together. There was an animosity that was there that inspired the Holy Spirit. Paul says it was a persecution. And it says, even so it, it is now. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of free. All right, so what's going on here? So he's taking this historical account, and he's now applying it to salvation. In Galatia, there were people that had made their way into the church. They had come in and said, we hear that you have faith in Jesus. That's great. Paul came through and taught you all about Jesus. That's awesome. He does a great job of talking about how Jesus is the Messiah. But he doesn't say everything you need to know. Like, did he tell you you need to be circumcised? No. Oh, well, you got to be circumcised. Did he tell you that you got to worship on the Sabbath and you got to keep all of the Jewish festivals? And did he also tell you about the diet that we have that you got to keep? Because if you don't do all that, you can't really be saved. I mean, Jesus is awesome. I mean, you got to come to him. But when you get to Jesus, you got to make a hard right and you got to go back under the law so that you can be fully saved. And if you don't do that, you're not fully saved. And this is why Paul says, who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you that having begun in the spirit, you're now going to be made perfect in the flesh? You are born by the spirit of God and now you're going to go through the works of the flesh and you're going to be made perfect, make yourself perfect. You can't do that. And in chapter 4, we didn't read it, but if you take the time on your own to read it, you'll see that the law was given for the purpose of bringing us to the conclusion we Can't do it. Like, what does that mean? It means you're a sinner. (laughs) That's what it means. And you know it. And I know it. We all know that we missed the mark. Have you ever been disappointed in your performance as a Christian? I don't mean for salvation, but in not doing, um, obeying the commandments of God or getting involved in sin or you have not labored the way you should have labored. You become self centered. You. Yeah, of course, we all have. Well, the law says don't do that. And it teaches us that we are sinners. It's a tutor. And the tutor's there to say, you can't do it on your own. You need somebody to help you out. You can't let this law save you. So the works of your flesh cannot result in salvation. You need the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And that happens through faith And the grace of God, what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's how you're saved. But people have always wanted, since the beginning of the gospel message, to take us back to a works-based salvation. God, hear this, the law is good. The law is beautiful. The law was a great way for a nation to run. The law is beautiful in instructing Israel on how to come and worship. But it was all a shadow of things to come. And now the substance, Christ, has come. Now you don't go back into the shadow and begin to embrace the shadow. You embrace the substance. You embrace that which is real, and you guys are going back into the shadows. You're going back to those things that can't save you. And so he gives the illustration of, like, from the life of Abraham. Abraham tried to bring, of course, we're talking about the promises of the seed and the salvation that would come. He tried to bring about that salvation through Hagar and through the works of his flesh. But it wasn't that; it was a work of the Spirit. God performed a miracle and allowed Sarah to have a child, and that's how it works in our salvation. God does the work to produce salvation; we don't work and earn salvation. So once we're saved, now we work. But you don't work to earn salvation; you can't do it. But now that I am saved by the Spirit of God, now I commit to living a life of being faithful in service. So. Works follow the believer. They do not precede the believer. But we don't go back into the law. And that is what was happening. And so quite unexpectedly, if you're just reading in Genesis chapter 21 and you you don't turn to Galatians chapter 4, you don't see the picture that's being painted of our salvation. But that's exactly what took place in Of course, we do see that these two children could not dwell together because it's not a mixture of works and and the Spirit. It is the Spirit alone who saves us. Let's move back over into um, Genesis chapter 14. And while you're going there, I'll make one more point on this topic. When people become legalistic in church, when people in the church begin to look to what they can do. Now, sometimes it is people going back you got to worship on the sabbath you got to worship on saturday or sometimes it's going back to the feast if you don't keep the feast if you don't eat the according to the dietary law you don't keep the law but let me let me just tell you this nobody can keep the law so says scripture and anybody who would think that they could keep the law today they can't there's no sacrifices being made in israel today it's not happening and so it's only a picking and choosing of what parts you want to be obedient to. But when people get caught up in legalism in the church, in other words, I've, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all of these things, my hair is going to be cut short, I'm going to wear this, I'm going to not wear that, I'm going to listen to this, I'm not going to listen to that, I'm going to you know, spend this much time and this much money, and all these things will make me saved. Do you know what happens to those people? They eventually realize they can't do it. And then they just walk away. Like, forget it. They've convinced themselves that they can do things that will earn salvation, and yet the law is always telling them, you failed again. You failed again. You failed again. And unless they come to the conclusion that they have bad theology and they need to just trust in the work of the Spirit of God to save, they end up just walking away. Dejected. And even to this day, there is that persecution that happens. You want to just walk in the grace of God? You just want to walk in the spirit of the Lord? And that will bring you salvation? And people will be there to beat you down and mock you for your simple faith and trust in the Lord. They will question that it's real. They will question that whether or not you're really saved. The persecution that began with Ishmael towards Isaac in that metaphorical sense, well, it continues to this day. It still goes on. And there's people that would look at us gathering today and say, you are not saved because you are worshiping on Sunday. And that is the, it's always the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist day. And if you do that, then you're worshiping the Antichrist if you worship on Sunday. You got any scripture for that? What day are we supposed to worship on? Does the Bible, anywhere in the Bible does it say, it says, yeah, determine in your own heart what day to worship on. And don't judge somebody who worships on another day. Yeah, but the Sabbath, the Sabbath is real, Troy, is in the Old Testament. You're absolutely right. The Sabbath was real in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the Sabbath was to give what? Rest. It's about relaxation, not about location. And if I happen to go to a church on Saturday or Sunday or any other day in worship, it is not saving me. I'm worshiping the Lord. The relaxation was the point of the Sabbath. So those that make such a big deal of it, they miss the point. If I was living up in Dan in the Israel, I could not have made it down to the temple. I mean, it would be too far. I wouldn't have been resting. I would have been working. Well, you could have gone to the synagogue. Ah, oh, Here's an interesting thing. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where it says to go and have worship at synagogue. Nowhere. It really, we, we don't think that it even began. We don't even know exactly when. But most believe that synagogue worship happened during the exile. Like the days of Ezekiel and Daniel and Ezra. And they began to have synagogue meetings then. And then it continued on traditionally. And we see Jesus going to these synagogues and stuff. So I'm not saying that it's wrong that they did it. But you don't have a verse for synagogue, going to synagogue. The verse was Relax. Relax, Rest, and we find that rest in the Lord, and that we are not striving to be saved, right? So that is the picture that's painted. In verses 14 through 21, uh, say so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on, his, on the, her shoulder, he gave it, and the boy gave it and the boy to Hagar, and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. She placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. The word lad can be translated actually adolescent. Then the angel of the Lord called on him called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, which is the northern portion of the Sinai Peninsula. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. She was from Egypt. So she goes. They're traveling. They get to this location where there is a well, but she doesn't see it. Which is so often the way people are. Salvation is right in front of them. They've, you've grown up hearing about the Lord and Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And you are living a life and you are about to die. You, are, you're, you feel rejected. You feel alone. You feel desperate. There's no joy in this life. And you're like, what am I going to do? There's no point to even live. What's the point of life? And right in front of you is this well of salvation in Jesus Christ. And you need to drink of him. The Lord says, listen, don't worry. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be okay. But go get the lad. And when she did this, then the Lord opened her eyes. And I pray that your eyes are open today to see that you can find the hope of life during life, the forgiveness of sins, and the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And if you don't see it, Lord, may you open their eyes right now to see that your Son is the Savior. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink of me. The Lord wants you to drink of him, that well of salvation. And he says, and there will come from within you springing forth living water. And this is again a metaphor for the life that he wants you to have. If you don't have that, come to him. If you have come to the Lord, know that he sees you. Know that he is near to you and he's not forsaking you and he wants to help you through. In verses 22 through 34, I'm not going to read it other than to just summarize it. Abraham and Abimelech, they end up uh, drawing up a treaty. Remember, Abimelech had been deceived by Abraham. So he's like, hey, let's have a treaty because I need to keep my eye on you and I don't want to be deceived by you. And so they enter into this treaty and then, then Abraham says, well, you know, you kind of haven't treated me the best either. I, I had a well and your men drove me away. He's like, well, I didn't know about it. So they both are kind of checking each other in this covenant. But in verse, and then the, as it goes on, he gives him in verse 30, Uh, seven lambs. And Abimelech says, what is this for? He says, well, I've dug a well and I want this to be evidence that you taking these seven lambs, that it's evidence that I dug this well and I can feed my, uh, uh, you know, tend my flocks from this. And so Beersheba means um, a well of seven. So that's, that's where the name came from. A well of seven because he gave seven lambs and it's a well. But in verse 33, we read this verse, then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and they're called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And this is where we see Abraham so often. Is at a tree? The tree of Mamre, there in Hebron, worshiping, building an altar. The tree was a place that he would go, there would be shade there, but it was a place, he didn't worship the tree, but it was a place that became synonymous with where he set up worship, and where he called upon the name of the Lord. And I just, I just want to ask you, believer, where is your tamarisk tree where you go and you meet with the Lord? Where's that place that you've set aside? You know, maybe it's like, for me, it's go, go out in the car because I can leave my phone in the house. I can get away from everybody and I can just get like a quiet time in the car. Or maybe it's hiking on a trail or sitting on the deck in the cool of the morning or on your couch. Or I don't know. You've got to have it, though. I have to have it. I need to have that place where I'm going and I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. I, this must have been so pleasing to the Lord when having left the tree in Mamre to see Abraham's commitment to call upon the name of the Lord. And there he has this tree and he's digging and he's putting it into the ground and he's watering it. And the Lord's like, ah, oh, look at this. He's planning for worship, he's planning to sit in my presence. And to be with me. We need it. The Lord wants us to be in fellowship with him. And I just encourage you, if you have not been near the tree lately to call upon the name of the Lord, to open up the scriptures, you need to do it. We all need to do it. I know the Bible. Yeah, but you know the Lord will reveal himself over and over again through a very familiar book to you. It's his word. Malcolm and Alwyn wrote a song that says, speaking of the Bible, it's a black and white portrait of a king who's a friend of mine. I love that line. When you open this, you're looking at a black and white portrait of your king, and he's your friend. So as you stare into the pages of Scripture, you are staring into the face of your God. He's revealed to us here, and you need to go and get alone. And if you haven't taken the time to do that lately, it's time to renew that meeting, that devotion, that calling upon the Lord, that waiting upon the Lord and be a worshiper like Abraham was. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, we know that what you say you're going to do is going to happen. Lord, we know that there is no way we could ever earn salvation. It is so clear in scripture. That is not by the works of the law, but it's by the hearing of faith. You showed us grace, and as we put faith in that work of grace on the cross, you save us, and we thank you for it.